عن أبي واقد الليثي قال خرجنا مع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إلى حنين ونحن خدفاء أحد بكفر وللمشركين سدرة يأكفون عندها وينوتون بها أصلحتهم يقال لها ذات أنوار فمررنا بسدرة فقلنا يا رسول الله اجعل لنا ذات أنواط كما لهم ذات أنواط فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الله أكبر إن إنها السنن قلتم والذي نفسي بيده كما قالت بنو إسرائيل لموسى اجعل لنا إلها كما لهم آلهة قال إنكم قوم تجهلون لتركبن السنن من كان قدركم رواه الترمذي وصححه الحديث from Abu Waqid al-Layfi radiyallahu an we went out he said we went out with Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to Hunayn and we had newly left unbelief and the mushriks used to have a, a sidra a lot tree where they would go and stay and devote themselves and where they would hang their weapons and it was called Dhatu Anwar the place where things are hung so we passed by a, a different low tree and we said O oh, Messenger of Allah make for us a Dhatu Anwar similar tree just as they have a Dhatu Anwar so Allah's Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said Allahu Akbar Allah is greater these are indeed the ways you have said by him in whose hand is my soul just the same as Banu Israel said to Musa اجعل لنا إلها كما لهم آلهة قال إنكم قوم تجهلون شعية from سورة الأعراف the 7th surah I 138 with the explanation make for us Banu Israel said to Musa عليه السلام make for us an object of worship just the same as these other people have an object of worship. So he said, you are indeed an ignorant people. And the Prophet ﷺ then said, you will certainly follow the ways of those who came before you. Reported by Tirmidhi, and he declared it authentic. And Shaykh Al-Bani declares it authentic, and that it does have supports. The explainer says, the narrator of the hadith, Abu Waqid al-Layti radiallahu anh, his name was al-Harith ibn Awf. And there is similar reports from Abu Sa'id and Abu Hurairah, reported by Tirmidhi, or this was said by Tirmidhi. So he was a famous, Abu Waqid was a famous companion who died in the year 68, at the age of 58, radiallahu anh. And that's probably right. Rather, 85. He was 85, 85 years old. That is right. So he died in the year 68, and he was 85 years old. That's right. He's saying, We went out along with Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, to Hunayn. In, in case we don't know, a brief bit of background about Hunayn. It occurred after the conquest of Mecca. After the liberation of Mecca, 
Then shortly after that, obviously the Quraysh, uh, the head of Shirk was the Quraysh. And Quraysh were conquered, and Thaqif were next in line. They were the next leaders of, of Shirk, and they were the ones left behind to be in charge of the, the Mushrikun. So after the conquest of Mecca, in the eighth year of the Hijrah, in Ramadan, in the next month after that, the Prophet wasallam he set out. Or rather, initially, a, a large number of Thaqif and Hawazi, they got together and they formed a large army to oppose the Prophet So the Prophet wasallam with 2,000 of the people of Medina, and 10,000 of those who had accepted Islam in Mecca, he went out to fight against them. And there occurred the Battle of Hunayn. And in that regard, you can read the ninth surah, Surah Bara'a of the Quran, Ayah 25 and thereabouts. And it describes what happened. And the victory of the Muslims, the eventual victory of the Muslims in that battle. The explainer says, so he's saying, we went out to Hunayn. And in the wording of the hadith of Amr ibn Awf, he said, we went out from a battle along with Allah's Messenger وسلم, in the year of the conquest of Mecca. And we were a thousand and more. Until we reached the place between Hunayn and Ta'if, the hadith. He's saying, and we had newly left unbelief. Meaning, they had newly left the religion of unbelief. And it contains a proof that others besides them, from the companions, they were not ignorant of what these ones were ignorant of. Because the army composed, the army composed 2,000 of the people of Medina who came to conquer Mecca. And it contained, contained 10,000 of the people of Mecca, many of whom were, were newly, as it said, newly left unbelief. So he's saying, we had newly left Kufr. So that refers to some of the people of Mecca who had just entered. The month before, they had just entered into Islam. And therefore, what, what occurred in the, in the next part of the hadith, and their request to the Prophet ﷺ was due to their ignorance and having newly left unbelief. And it's an indication that the rest of the companions who had accepted Islam before that, they were not part of it. They were not ignorant in this regard. And they didn't request what these ones requested. And it contains a proof that one who has just left some falsehood which he used to be accustomed to, then he might not be safe or his heart might not be safe from having a remnant of that habit in his heart. The author mentioned it. And somebody to leave some false belief, some false belief system which he became accustomed to and then he leaves it and enters into Islam. He may not be safe, his heart may not be safe from there being a trace of that in him. And it could be mentioned in this regard, the authentic hadith of Abu Dhar, radiallahu anhu, <coughs> the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said to one of his companions, one of the famous companions, he said to him, you are a person who contains a trace of the Ahiliyah. Contains a trace. Even one of the companions, he said, you contain a trace of it. It shows that people accept in Islam, they contain, retain a trace you know, Newly accepted Islam, the trace could be still left there. Hadith being reported by Abu Dawud. Then he's saying, and the mushriks used to have a, a sidra, 
a low tree where they devoted themselves. He said, Al-Ukuf means to devote oneself to something at a certain place. And from this is the saying of Ibrahim alayhi salam, ما هذه التماثيل التي أنتم لها أكفون Surah Al-Anbiya, Ayah 52, that Ibrahim alayhi salam said to Mushrik people, what are these idols that you are, you are Akifun, you are devoted, you are devoted to? And he says, so the devotion of these Mushriks to that tree, they would, they would devote themselves to it in order to seek blessings, to borrow, and out of respect and honor for it. And in the hadith of Amr, they used to hang or suspend their weapons there. And it used to be worshipped besides Allah. His saying, they used to hang their weapons there. Meaning, they used to hang <coughs> their weapons there to seek blessing. To seek blessing. That's why they did not just a place to put the weapon. They put them there to seek blessings. The blessings were coming to their weapons. The explainer says, so I say, this contains an explanation that their worship of it, it was done by honouring and by devoting themselves to that slave and by seeking blessings from it. So through these three matters, trees and their likes are worshipped. So through these three things, these three things are done to a tree or a house or so on, then worship is done. Honouring, going there, giving honour to that place. Giving devotion, devoting oneself to that place and seeking blessings from that. If that is done, then you're, the person is worshipping that. He's saying, we said, O Messenger of Allah, make for us a dhatu anwar. Abu Sa'adat said, and he is Ibn al-Athir. He said, they asked him to make one like it for them, so he forbade them from that. And then he explains, he says, so they did that, those new companions who did the action, he said, why did they do it? He said, they did that thinking that it would be something beloved to Allah. And they did it seeking nearness to Allah. Meaning that that tree, they thought they could get blessings from Allah by, put, by doing the same thing as the mushriks did. Through that tree, they'd have a similar tree to what the mushriks had. But their weapons, the Muslims would put their weapons on and they would get blessings. That's what they thought. And that's why they requested it. <laughs> because they were people who were, who were greater than they, should did, than they should deliberately go against the order of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Means they weren't intending to do, you know, come out and do shirk. That wasn't their intention. So the Prophet said, Allahu Akbar, or in one narration, he said, Subhanallah. And what is meant is to declare the greatness of Allah the Most High and to declare Him free from this shirk in whatever form it comes. And to be free from whatever is not allowed. That you should seek it or desire it besides Allah. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he used, he used to use the takbir saying Allahu Akbar and saying Subhanallah at times of surprise or amazement. As a declaration of the greatness of Allah and his being free of anything not befitting him. 
And he would say it when he heard something from anybody, something that was not befitting Allah. Or something that was an encroachment upon Allah's lordship or right to worship. He's saying, Inna has sunan. These are the ways. Meaning, at-turuk. These are the ways of those who came before. You have said, he's saying, you have said, by him in whose hand is my soul, just like Banu Israel said to Musa, so he declared their saying to be like the saying of Banu Israel. And the thing that gathers them both is that both sets of people sought that they should have something to devote themselves to and something, something to worship besides Allah. Even if the wordings were different. I mean the people of Musa, they directly said, give us an uh, give us an, uh, aliha. Give us idols, give us gods to worship besides Allah, or something, you know, like that. Whereas these people, they only ask, give us that and what? Give us a tree like this. But the thing that gathers both of the things is, they were asking for something, both sets of people asking for something that they could devote themselves to, and direct worship to, and seek blessing besides Allah. So the meaning of both was one, even if their names were different. And difference in names does not change the reality behind them. So it shows a fear of shirk. Says another le lesson we can learn from it is a fear of shirk. And that the person may have a good thought about something and think that it may bring him closer to Allah when in fact it is the thing that will take him furthest away from the mercy of Allah and will draw him nearer to the anger of Allah. And this will not be known for sure, except by those who knows what has occurred in these times. With regard to many of the people of knowledge, and the worshippers, and those who devote themselves to the graves. With regard to going beyond bounds with regard to them, and directing all sorts of worship towards them. And they think that they are upon something, whereas they are upon the sin which Allah will not forgive. Will not forgive. He's stating a fact that in his time and in our time, many, many, or a vast part of the Ummah is upon this thing that is made a shirk that Allah will not forgive. So it's easy to fall into it. By one way or another way, it's easy to fall into that. So we should be afraid of it. And bearing in mind that these were people that who had newly entered Islam along with the Prophet and they had made such a request as this. So we should have fear of the same thing that is to be feared here. Then he says, he quotes from Ibn Abi Shama in his book, Al-Bida wal-Hawadi. And he just quotes at his time the way that things, that what the Ummah had fallen into at his time. He said, so in this regard also is what has become generally widespread due to the fact that Shaytan has made it alluring to the people, the common folk, that they perfume walls and pillars and they light, they put lights in particular places in each land. And people, and the reason for this is that somebody comes to them and tells them that he saw in a dream that a certain person famous for piety and for being a beloved friend of Allah, they saw him recommending this. And this is how many of the shirk in many of the Muslim lands, you go to these places where they put lights and they perfume certain things, they have places they respect. 
if you find it, if you ever managed to find the origin of it, it's somebody, they had a dream about a pious person, and he told them to do this. So therefore they started it, and, that's, and then these things grow. So he said, so therefore they do, they do these things, seeking nearness to Allah through it. And then they go beyond this, to such an extent that they honor those places. And these places have such a great level of respect in their hearts. And they, they hope from these places, cure from their illnesses, and for their needs to be dealt with by making vows and, su and such like at these places. Whether they are rivers, or trees, or walls, or stones. And in the city of Damascus, there are many, many places like this. Many he names a whole bunch of things, a certain river, a certain uh, pillar, a certain so on. He mentions a whole list of places in Damascus. And Damascus being one of the major cities of the Muslims. And yet, these things, these things were there. And he, he gives a list of these evil places where blessings are sought. And then Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, mentions what, the like of what Abu Shama said. And comments. Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, said, So how fast the people of shirk are in taking their idols besides Allah, whatever they may be. And they say, that this rock, or that tree, because in the end of the day, whatever it is, if it's a rock, if it's a grave, for example, a grave or a tomb is just a rock. All it is is just a piece of rock. So he said, they say, this rock, or that tree, or this spring, they accept vows. Meaning, they accept, these are places where worship is acceptable. Worship of these things besides Allah. <laughs> Because making vows, and people sometimes forget, making vows towards things, that you, you vow such and such and such, such, this is worship and is devotion. Because they send, sometimes they send us through the, through the post and things, well you send a certain amount of money or you can, you can vow a certain amount of money to some certain shrine and so on. And this is worship, a burden. And he quotes the saying of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Oh Allah, do not make my grave wathanan. Allahumma la taj'al qabri wathanan yu'bah. But the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, Oh Allah, do not make my grave an idol which is worship. Allahumma la taj'al qabri wathanan yu'bah. Oh Allah, do not make my grave an idol which is worship. Sahih reported in the Muatta of Imam Malik. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa himself described his grave and said, oh Allah, don't make it an idol. And that's exactly what the people have made of many of the graves. They've made them into idols. And in this, this hadith, there are a number of benefits. And that what is, and from them is that what is done by many people with regard to trees and graves and rocks, that they seek blessings from them and devote themselves to them and must sacrifice to them that this is shirk. And do not be fooled by many of the common folk and the stupid folk. And do not think it unlikely, and then he brings a very important point, do not think it unlikely that shirk will occur in this ummah. Because if some of the companions, they had a good thought in this regard, and they requested it from the Prophet until he explained that it was just like the saying of Banu Israel, 
then how can this be something that is, how can this not be hidden? Meaning, people say, how, people that make the excuse, we are Muslims nowadays, how can shirk occur amongst us? He said, if amongst some of the companions, they didn't know that something was shirk, until the Prophet ﷺ explained it to them, then how can it not be hidden by people who are far less than them in knowledge and excellence, many, many times less than them, and are in a situation that ignorance has got the better of them, and they are far from the traces of the Prophet ﷺ. Indeed, they have reached an extent that major, even major shirk in worship has escaped them, and in lordship of Allah, these are things they are ignorant of. Then just quickly summarizing the rest, he says, what is counted in these affairs and rulings is the meanings behind them, not the names of them. And he's saying, that you will indeed follow the ways of those who came before you, meaning you will follow their ways and you will follow their, their manahij, the ways that they proceeded upon. You, this ummah will indeed follow those ways. And this was an authentic report and something that occurred. The Prophet foretold it and it's something that happened. And, it's some, and what is seen from many of this ummah bears witness to the truth of it. So it is a sign from the signs of the Prophet of Prophethood. And in the Hadith, there is a prohibition of being like the people of Jahiliyyah and being like the people of the Book. And of doing what they do. Unless there is a proof to show that it is correct in the Sharia of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And then just finally, the final point. As for the claim of many of the later people that it is allowed to seek blessings from the remains and traces of the righteous, then this is prohibited. This is something wrong and prohibited from a number of angles. Meaning that we know if, if certain places are grave for a pious person, they come and they claim, we can seek blessings from this place. He said this is prohibited from a number of angles. And he quotes two. Firstly, that the first and foremost of the companions and those who came after them, they had not used to do this with other than the Prophet neither in his life nor after his death. And if it was something good, they would have preceded us in it. And the best of the companions, Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali, radiallahu anhum, did, never did this. And they are those whom the Messenger وسلم, bore witness that they were people of paradise. And none of the companions or the tabi'een did it with any of them, meaning the grave of any of these people. No one went there seeking blessings and so on. Nor did the tabi'oon do it with their noble ones in knowledge and religion. And they are the best example for us. So it is not allowed to analogize anyone along with Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa Because the companions sought blessings from his traces, but from nobody else besides him. And the second is that it is prohibited because of the prohibition or rather the prohibition is there to stop the ways that lead into shirk as will not be hidden and you see how these people with their excuse are there they say 
for doing this just as Tabarrah called out of respect for these pious people and so on, and they end up with a pure, pure shirk. It comes in the form of a question which shows the worthlessness of these things and the belittling of these things, these idols. The second issue is knowledge yeah, the nature, as he translates it, the nature of the matter requested by the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that is that they requested from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that he should make for them a tree of Vatu Anwat just like the mushriks had a tree Vatu Anwat and what they intended by that what the companions in the hadith intended by that was that they should seek blessings through this tree not that they should worship it. So this shows, meaning from the response of the Prophet ﷺ, so this shows that seeking blessings by means of trees is something prohibited. And that it is from the ways of those who are astray who came before us in the previous nations. The third point of benefit is the fact they did not actually do it. I mean, the companions didn't set a tree up like that. They didn't do it. All they did was requested it. They did not hang their weapons upon any tree. Rather, they just asked for this from the Prophet ﷺ, asking him that he should approve of this action. Or rather, they, they didn't, rather, rather to correct, correct what I just said, Rather, they didn't do it, and nor did they do it, and then seek the approval of the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, having done it. Rather, they requested from the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that he should do that for them. So, in other words, they didn't do it, and they didn't do it, and then go to the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and ask him is this right or wrong. They didn't do it at all. They asked him initially. They asked him to do this for them. The fourth point of benefit is the fact that their intention in this was to draw closer to Allah by this action. Because of their thought, they had the, they had the thought that Allah would love this thing. Meaning that by setting up such a tree and putting their weapons upon it, upon that tree, that had been specified by the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam that through that it should become an act of worship by which they could get reward. Meaning what they did, they, they made this request so that the Prophet ﷺ could then, if he agreed to it, if he agreed to it, he would set out a certain tree and then that tree, because the Prophet ﷺ had laid it down for them, could be a tree where they could seek blessings. That was, what they that was what they intended and the reason was so then that could be a way of worship. But of course 
it wasn't uh, the Prophet didn't accept it and rejected it. The fifth point of benefit if the, if they from some of the people amongst the companions were ignorant of this fact ignorant of this this matter pertaining to shirk if they were ignorant of that fact then others besides them are even more likely to be ignorant of that because there is no doubt whatsoever that the companions were the people who had the best knowledge of the religion of Allah so if the companions or some of them were ignorant of the fact that seeking blessings in this way was a type of taking something as a, a god to be worshipped besides Allah then others besides them will even more, are even more likely to fall into that and the author rahimahullah intended by this point that that we should not be deceived by the practices of the people because the practices of the people may be something based upon ignorance so what is counted is that which is proven by the legislation that which is proven by text that's what we take into account not just what the people do the sixth point of benefit is that for those companions they had such good deeds that they had amassed and they had a promise of forgiveness that was not given to people besides them this is something known from various ayahs in the Quran and the Sheikh, the Sheikh quotes Surah Al-Hadid Ayah 10 the saying of Allah the Most High لا يستوي منكم من أنفق من قبل الفتح وقاتل أولئك أعظم درجة من الذين أنفقوا من بعد وقاتلوا وكلا وعد الله الحسنى with a rough explanation that they are not equal those who spent before the victory and fought or rather they are not equal those who spent before the victory and those later on, who came later on, those ones before are greater in a, are greater than those who spent afterwards and then fought, and all of them, Allah has promised good to them. So those companions who accepted Islam before the victory, before the conquer, either the con- and the, the scholars differ which victory is meant, whether it's the Treaty of Hudaybiyah or whether it's the conquest of Mecca, and either one, whichever it is, those who accepted Islam before that and they have a reward greater than anybody who comes after them and they have promises of the companions have a promise of forgiveness which is not for any other people besides them so he says so the companions radiallahu anhum they have such good deeds and they have a promise of forgiveness and they have with them causes of forgiveness which others besides them do not possess yet despite all of this the Prophet ﷺ did not excuse them for this request that they made. They are saying despite all these virtues and so on, and they've got they've been people who promised forgiveness, yet the Prophet ﷺ didn't let them off with this. When they made this request, he didn't let them off. Rather, he said what he said and he rebuked them. So how about people coming later on who don't have any such promise of forgiveness 
and don't have the, the good deeds that they had and do the same things. The seventh point of benefit is that the Prophet did not excuse them. Rather, he rejected what they said. And he said, Allahu Akbar. Allah is greater. Allah is greater. These are the ways. You will indeed follow the ways of those who came before you. So he spoke severely in this regard. And this is shown by three things. The severity of his, his, his saying to them is shown by three things. Firstly, he's saying, Allahu Akbar. Allah is greater. Secondly, he's saying, Inna Sunan. These are the ways. When, when they requested what they requested, these are the ways, many of those who came before you. These are the ways. And thirdly, he's saying, you will indeed follow the ways of those who came before you. So he spoke severely in this affair. Because the takbir, Allahu Akbar, is showing the greatness of this affair which they requested. <coughs> and saying, indeed, these are the ways, it contains a warning. It contains a warning for them. And he's saying, you will certainly follow the ways of those who came before you. There's another warning on top. The eighth point of benefit is that what is meant is that this is a major matter. And this is shown by the fact that he made clear that their request was similar, was like the request made by Banu Israel to Musa when they said to him, make for us an object of worship just as the other people have objects of worship. Whereas these people here, amongst the companions, they sought out a lot tree by which they could seek blessings. Just as the mushriks in their time had, a, had trees which they sought blessings through. So each of these requests, the way in which these requests are the same, and the Prophet made them the same, the way in which they are the same is that both of these requests contains a negation of Tawheed. Because seeking blessings through a tree is a type of shirk. And is a way of taking that as something worshipped besides Allah. And that is clear. The ninth point of benefit is that negation of this negation of any seeking blessings from trees and so on, negation of this is from the meaning of La ilaha illallah, that none has a right to be worshipped except Allah. And that due to its subtleness and its being hidden, it was not noticed by those people. This fact was not noticed by those people. Meaning, the denial of seeking blessings through trees and the like it's from the meaning of La ilaha illallah. And that the saying La ilaha illallah, it denies anything that is worshipped besides Allah and negates the right to worship from everything besides Allah, the mighty and majestic. And so likewise, 
is seeking blessings from other than Allah, the perfect and the most high. The tenth point of benefit is that the Prophet wasallam he swore an oath upon the verdict he gave and he was not a person he was not a person who would give an oath except to achieve some benefit meaning the Prophet he gave an oath upon the verdict in his saying you have said by him in whose, in whose hand is my soul that was where he swore the oath you have said by him in whose hand is my soul and the Prophet ﷺ would not make an oath except for some benefit or to prevent some harm and some evil because he was not one of those people who make an oath upon anything without any reason as is the practice of some people some people they swear oaths upon all sorts of things without any due cause The eleventh benefit is that shirk, from it there is lesser shirk, shirk and asghar, and from it there is major shirk. And this is, this is because those companions did not become apostates through their saying. And the companions who asked, made this request, they didn't become, they didn't become apostates through that request. And the Shaykh says, yes, shirk contains le- that which is lesser and that which is greater shirk. And it contains that which is hidden and that which is clear. So major shirk, a shirk al-akbar, is that which takes a person out of the religion. And lesser shirk is that which is lesser than that. And he said, and the saying though, that which is lesser than that is not a clear and precise scale. Therefore the scholars have differed about how to define lesser shirk. And then he gives two sayings for the scholars. What is lesser shirk? What is a shirk al-asghar? The first of the two sayings is that lesser shirk is every matter that is mentioned in the texts as being shirk. However, the texts also show that it is not meant what is not it is not meant by that major shirk. So every in other words, anything mentioned in the texts, in the book and the sunnah, anything mentioned as being shirk. However, the same texts or other texts, they show that what is not meant there is major shirk that takes a person outside Islam. And then he gives examples. Says the hadith, for example, Man halafa bighayrillahi faqad ashraka. The saying of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, whoever swears by other than Allah has done shirk. From the hadith of Ibn Umar, radiallahu anhuma in Abu Dawud and elsewhere, and declared sahih by Shaykh al-Bani. So he says, we say in this case, for example, we say here, the shirk here is lesser shirk. Because the texts have shown 
that swearing by something besides Allah alone, on its own, does not take a person outside the religion. And then just something additional to that, further proof of that, that could be mentioned, is the hadith reported by al-Bukhari and Muslim from Abu Hurairah that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa said, whoever from you makes an oath and in his oath he says, by Allah and by Al-Uzza, then let him say, La ilaha illallah. So the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that somebody, by mistake, it is on their tongue, they said, they made an oath and they swore by Allah and Al-Uzza, he said, you should, they should say, let him say, La ilaha illallah. Meaning he didn't throw them outside the religion, he just told them what they should say. The second saying, is that lesser shirk is everything that leads to major shirk even if it is not mentioned in text as being shirk just repeat that bit the second saying is that lesser shirk is everything that is a means leading to major shirk even if it's not mentioned in the text with the name of shirk such as Placing a person placing reliance upon something just as he should rely upon Allah but he, do, he is not taking that thing as an object of worship. So here we will say this is lesser shirk. And then he brings a, the, the person bringing the footnotes he brings a footnote and says this, this case a case of somebody placing reliance upon someone besides Allah. That we'll say if he does that, places reliance upon that one, this being lesser shirk, he said, he makes an exception, he says, with a condition that that is something that can be depended upon. If it is something that it is not correct to place any reliance upon at all, such as the dead and the like, then it will be major shirk. And for example, somebody place of reliance, they, they have some need and for fulfillment of that need they place reliance upon somebody in the grave then that is major shirk so he says so this is a case here somebody places reliance upon someone in a manner in which his reliance should be placed upon Allah it will be said this is lesser shirk as long as he does not take that as an object of worship. Because this dependence he has upon that one. That is like his dependence upon Allah should be. It will, in the end, it will lead to major shirk. It will lead on to major shirk. Means it will lead on to him taking that, that one as an object of worship. And this definition is broader than the first one. Because the first saying of the scholars, so now he's finished the two sayings, now he's summing up, is because the first definition, it prevents anything being described as shirk, unless there's a proof to say it is shirk. Whereas the second saying, it makes everything that is a, a means to shirk, shirk itself. Everything that is a means to shirk, on the second thing, is itself shirk. And it, we may say, he said, we may say, based upon this second definition, 
that all sins are lesser shirk. Because that which leads a person to commit sins is desires. And Allah the Most High has said, أَفَرَأَيْتَ مَنْ اتَّخَذَ إِلَاهَهُ هَوَاهُ وَأَضَلَّهُ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ عِلْمٍ Saying of Allah the Most High in Surah Al-Jafiyah, Surah Al-Jafiyah, the 45th Surah, as far as I remember, Ayah 23, with a rough explanation, have you not, have you not seen the one who takes as an object of worship his desires and whom Allah has led astray upon knowledge? And just as an extra point again, Ibn Kathir, because there's some points of benefit in it, Ibn Kathir in his tafsir of this ayah, Ibn Kathir said, meaning that this person only takes his desires to be followed. So whatever he sees as being something good, whatever his desires tell him is good, he will do it. And whatever his desires tell him is evil, or is bad for is bad, he will leave it. And this is a proof which is used against the Mu'tazila in their saying that what is good and what is bad is to be known by the intellect. And rather what is good and what is bad should be known, should be, it should be limited. Some things can be known, this is outside again what he's saying. We know some things are bad or good by the intellect that Allah has given us. But this is to be limited by the text. And those things in the text that the text said is good are good. And those te- things in text are said to be bad are bad. But there are some things that we can know by intellect are good or bad. But the Mu'tazila, they come and say, no, the whole affair is the intellect. Whatever the intellect says, no matter what the text says, is bad, is bad. Whatever, the te- whatever our intellect says is good, no matter what the text says, is, is like that. Then he continues, and from Malik, Ibn Kathir continues, and from Malik in what is reported from him in tafsir of this, that this man mentioned in the type of man mentioned in the ayah, he does not desire anything except he worships it. And his saying, Wa Adallahullahu ala ilm, and Allah Allah misguides him upon knowledge, has two possible meanings. It has two possible meanings. The first, وَأَضَلَّهُ that Allah misguides him due to Allah's knowledge that he deserves that. A person like this, Allah misguides him because Allah knows that he deserves misguidance. And the second saying is that Allah misguides him after causing the knowledge to reach that person and after establishing the proof against him. And the second one necessitates the first one. Then to go back to what Shaykh ibn Uthameen, Hafidullah says, Therefore the Prophet wasallam, with again with this understanding, with the, under, the second understanding, Therefore the Prophet wasallam, he applied the term of shirk upon one who abandons the prayer even though he has not associated anything in worship with Allah. 
So the Prophet said, he said, and this is often a hadith which is declared by Shaykh al-Bain to be Sahih, from the hadith of Jabir, reported by Tirmidhi. Between a man and between shirk and kufr is, abandon, is abandoning the prayer, is abandoning the prayer. So in conclusion, the author, rahimahullah, he says that shirk contains that which is major shirk and that which is lesser shirk. And this is shown by the fact that the companions there did not become apostates. Meaning they did, they were requesting something which was shirk and yet they didn't leave Islam. So there must be a, a part of shirk which does not take a person outside Islam. As for clear shirk and hidden shirk, then some of them say that clear shirk is major shirk and hidden shirk is lesser shirk. Because sometimes you find the terms used as shirk al-jali wa shirk al-khafi. Shirk which is manifest or apparent and shirk which is khafi, which is hidden. Sometimes you see these terms used. So some of the scholars say these are just other names for major and minor shirk. And shirk al-jali, manifest shirk, is major shirk. And shirk al-khafi, hidden shirk, is lesser shirk. Others besides them, they say, a second saying, al-jali, apparent shirk, is that which is apparent to the people. That which is done manifest in front, manifest in front of the people, whether it is lesser or major. And hidden shirk is that which the people don't know. It's done without the knowledge of the people. Whether it be major or minor. Or major or lesser. Right. And on this, on this saying, lesser sh- uh, al-khafi, hidden shirk will be that which is hidden. <coughs> so, swearing by other than Allah, if he makes it apparent to the people, will be clear and manifest shirk. Because he has done it clearly and manifestly in front of the people. Whereas Riyah doing things for show will be a case of hidden shirk. Because nobody will see that. Nobody can see a person doing something for show. And then he brings a further point. Which of these types of shirk, greater shirk or lesser shirk, is that which will not be forgiven? He says, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said, Rahimahullah, the shirk that Allah will not forgive, or rather he said, shirk will not be forgiven by Allah, even if it is lesser shirk. Even if it is lesser shirk. Due to the saying of Allah the Most High, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ that Allah will not forgive that any shirk be done along with him. Surah An-Nisa, the fourth surah, ayah 116. And the saying, and yushraka bihi, that shirk is done with him. Meaning, that there is any shirk with him. So, it is some, so therefore it is left general. So on the saying of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, the shirk mentioned in this ayah, that, that, that it is such that shirk will not be forgiven, is any shirk, whether it's major or lesser shirk.
Allah will not forgive it. Others amongst the scholars, they say, so that's the, that's the view of Sheikh al-Islam ibn al-Taymiyyah. He said there's another saying again here, from some other scholars, that that, that, that shirk which is not forgiven is major shirk only. And that lesser shirk is under Allah's will, is taht al mashia is under Allah's will. And that what is meant in this ayah by the saying of Allah the Most High and yushraka bihi, that Allah will not forgive that shirk is done along with him, is major shirk. But major shirk, that is what will not be forgiven. As for lesser shirk, then it is or can be, or will be, can be forgiven. Because it does not take a person outside the religion. And every sin which does not take a person outside the religion, then it lies under Allah's will. And then he summarizes all this point by saying, and whatever the case, whatever the case out of these two sayings, then the person who commits lesser shirk is upon grave danger. And it is greater than the greatest of major sins. Due to the saying of Ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu an, that I should swear by Allah when lying is more beloved to me than that I should swear by someone besides him telling the truth. Reported by Abdul Razak in his Musannaf and at Tabarani and declared Sahih by Shaykh Albani. The thirteenth point of benefit, or rather twelfth point of benefit, is saying in the hadith, and we had newly left unbelief. The meaning of his saying here is that the companion, he was giving the excuse for the request that they had made. The request that they should have, or have a tree like the Muslims had a tree. So they were making, ex- giving their excuse here that they had an excuse of ignorance due to the fact that they had just left unbelief. So based upon this we say, or a, ru- a ruling we derive from this and understand from this, is that it is right and proper that a person should put forward any, any excuse that he has for a saying or an action that he has done such that he should not open himself to having people say about him something that is not the case with him. I mean, if somebody has done something, either a saying or an action, there's something that you know, is apparently something wrong, then he should put forward his excuse. If, if he's not done something wrong, but it just appears that way, he should put his excuse forward. And that's what's upon him. And then he quotes his proof for this, a further proof, and says, and it is well known the hadith of Safiya radiallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet when the Messenger وسلم, accompanied her when he was in Itikaf. So he was, in, he was in Itikaf in the Masjid and he was with Safiya and he, he walked with her right to the door of the Masjid. And two men from the Ansar, they came, passing by. So the Prophet وسلم, said, she is Safiya, innaha Safiya bint Khuyayb. To these two men from the Ansar, the Prophet said, She is Safiya, the daughter of Khuyay. Hadith reported by Al Bukhari, Book of Itikaf. And you find it in the translation, 
volume 3, uh, number, hadith number 251. So this, uh, here, the Prophet ﷺ was walking with, this, with the woman and she was his wife. <coughs> and he walked with her to the door of the mosque and two of the Ansar, they came. And even, even uh, the Prophet ﷺ, without any, any, anyone questioning or anything, he said, she is Safiya bint Friye, meaning she's my wife. Safiya. And so they said, they said something to him that, you know, we didn't, something like, we didn't have any suspicion at all. And then the Prophet ﷺ told them that indeed the, the shaitan flows through the, the, the body of the person, just like the flowing of the blood. And the shaitan can cause suspicions in the people, and so on. So to cut off any suspicion, so that they shouldn't think, who is this, the Prophet ﷺ is walking with some woman, and who is she, and so on. To cut off any thoughts like that, the Prophet ﷺ straight away, he cut off the excuse, and said, you know, she is Sophia, meaning she's my wife. So likewise, the person should, if he has excuse, should put it forward and cut off any doubt. The third benefit, the thirteenth benefit, is saying takbir, Allahu Akbar, when you are surprised. It's taken from the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Allahu Akbar, inna has sunan. He's saying Allahu Akbar here, Allah is greater, meaning Allah is greater and mightier than that any shirk should be done long, along with him. And the wording of At-Tirmidhi, that Shaykh al-Bani authenticates, he said to them, Subhanallah, which is, means, a declaration of Allah's being free from anything not befitting him. The fourteenth benefit is to block all possible ways leading to evil, leading to block all possible ways leading to evil. And that's, that's a principle which, which is, is very often applied. There's something, if it's, a, if it's a way to evil, that we should block it off and we should stop it. So he says, so this tree, that to Anwar, it would, it would have been a means leading to major shirk. Because if the people had had this tree and placed their weapons upon it and had sought blessings through that, I mean they'd sought Allah to bless them through that thing, meaning, then the shaitan would have led them on until they worshipped it. And they came to ask, ask what they needed from it directly. So therefore the Prophet wasallam stopped this means, stopped the means to that. After some time, it would have led into shirk. So the Prophet ﷺ cut it off right from the start. The fifteenth point of benefit is the prohibition of resembling the people of Jahiliyyah. The prohibition of resembling the people of ignorance. And this is taken from his saying, You have said the like of that which Banu Israel said. So he was criticizing criticizing them by saying this. That itself is a criticism. You have said like the Banu Israel said. That itself is a criticism. So therefore we know that the state of ignorance, jahiliyyah, is not something particular to the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Rather, everyone who is ignorant and acts in ignorance of the truth and does the action of the actions of the people of ignorance then he is from the people of ignorance. The sixteenth point of benefit 
is becoming angry when teaching. He says, and the hadith is not a clear statement, is not a clear statement of that. It can be understood by him saying, Allahu Akbar. It's not a clear statement he became angry. Allahu Akbar. The seventeenth benefit is the general tendency of the people. The general tendency of the people that is shown, and he said, Inna has sunan. Indeed, these are the ways. Indeed, these are the ways, that's the, people, the way that people do it, the way that people go. And the fact that this ummah will follow the ways of those who came before it. And this does not mean that that is something allowed. I mean, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ said that this ummah, he said it's, it will happen, it will follow the ways of those who came before. That doesn't mean it's allowed for us to do so. Somebody can't come along now and say we're following their ways. But the Prophet ﷺ told us about that, so therefore, you know, we're allowed to do so. He said, rather, he said it as a warning. Because the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, also said in other hadith, this ummah will split into 73 sects, all of them in the fire except one. The well-known the well hadith. So he told, he foretold the ummah would split. It doesn't mean it's an allowance for us to split, and to allow splits in the ummah. And he also said, or like it, as he's saying, there will be from my ummah some people who make lawful fornication and the wearing of silk. The well-known hadith of Al-Bukhari, reported in the Book of Drinks. So likewise, he foretold that there will be some people in the ummah who make the wearing of uh, silk and fornication lawful. So he foretold it would happen, but it doesn't mean it's lawful for that. That is lawful. And likewise, he's saying that a lady in the covered compartment upon a camel will travel from such and such place to such and such, not fearing anyone except Allah. And she'll travel alone, meaning she'll travel alone to make Hajj, and she'll fear nobody except Allah. The hadith reported by Al-Bukhari in the book of uh, virtues, chapter the signs of prophethood, from the hadith of Adi ibn Hatim. So these affairs and their like are things that are forbidden in the sh- in the legislation. However, they will occur because they are pre-decreed only. In the prophet, meaning the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam foretold certain things will happen in the future. It doesn't mean that it's allowed for them to you know for, to do those things. It's just he foretold that they will occur, they will occur. They've been decreed and they will occur, even though they are things prohibited and forbidden for us. The eighteenth point of benefit is that this hadith shows a sign from the signs of prophethood. Because that which the Prophet ﷺ foretold has occurred. The following of the nations before us, it's happened and it's occurred. But if, then he brings a point, some people misunderstand, he says, if someone comes to say, but the Prophet ﷺ said, when he was addressing the people in Arafah, and he said, the shaitan has despaired that he should be worshipped in the Arabian Peninsula. Hadith of Jabir, reported by Muslim. 
in the, the book Attributes of the Hypocrites. So the saying of the Prophet that Shaitan has despaired that he should be worshipped in the Arabian Peninsula. Some people may say, may, may use this as a proof that shirk cannot occur now in Arabia anymore. So the Shaykh says, the response is that the fact that Shaitan despaired, it does not show that it will not happen. I mean, the fact that Shaitan despaired of it, it doesn't mean that shirk won't happen though. It just shows that he despaired of it. Rather, the affair happened and, has ha- and happens different to that which Shaitan thought. Because the explanation is that when the Islamic victories occurred and when Islam became very strong and when the people entered into crowds into the religion at that point Shaitan despaired that he should be worshipped besides Allah in the Arabian Peninsula. However, from the wisdom of Allah this will occur. Shirk will occur in the Arabian Peninsula after that time. We have to say, he says, this is what we say and this is what we have to say. In order that we do not have to then say, in order that we do not have to say all the actions that happen in the Arabian Peninsula can never be shirk. Because it is well known that Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah, he revived Tawheed in the Arabian Peninsula at a time when the people were involved, were people, some of them were mushriks, and some of them were not Muslims. So this hadith is just an information about something that happened to shaitan. A despair that happened in his own self at that time. However, it does not show that shirk will not occur there. Especially when the Messenger wasallam, has said, you will indeed follow the ways of those who came before you. And he was addressing the companions. And they were in the Arabian Peninsula. The 19th point of benefit, and abridging what, what follows, the 19th point of benefit is that wherever Allah has censured the Jews and the Christians in the Quran, then it can apply to us as well. And Shaykh ibn Uthameen explains. But what it means, it doesn't mean it doesn't apply, apply to all the Muslims. That all everything that applies is applied to the Jews and Christians in the Quran. It, that all of it applies to all of the Muslims. This is not the case of what is meant. Rather, it means generally. Generally, that what is mentioned about the Jews and Christians, it can apply to us, but not every individual amongst the Muslims. So he says so. If there occurs an example where we, re- where the Muslims resemble the Jews and the Christians, then the blame that was upon them, the same blame will be upon us. If we resemble them in our actions, then that same blame that was on them will be upon us. And there is no one from the people except that he contains some degree of resemblance to them, to the Jews and Christians. And then he, he explains that and says, because the one who disobeys Allah commit sin, a sin against Allah upon knowledge and he contains a resemblance with the Jews and the one who worships Allah upon misguidance contains a resemblance with the Christians 
and likewise the one who envies the people for that which Allah has given to them from his, his blessings such a person who envies those who have been given blessings by Allah then he contains a resemblance with the Jews and so on and so on the twentieth point of benefit is that the companions knew that worship <coughs> the acts of worship are based upon commands and this, then he says this is clear because matters of worship have to be based upon a command so that which is not there is no text established for it then it will be an innovation as the Prophet sallallahu said whoever does an action which is not upon that which our, our affair is upon then it is rejected hadith of Aisha reported by Muslim and the saying of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam beware of newly introduced matters because every innovation is misguidance hadith of al-irbad ibn sariya reported by abu daud and others so anyone who does any worship whatsoever is to, will be asked or rather anybody who does any worship will be asked for the proof for that whereas somebody contrary to that Somebody, for example, who hunts hunt some game, uh, an animal may go hunting for it, he will not be asked for a proof for that. Unless there is a proof to say that thing is forbidden. Because the basic principle is, in matters of worship, everything is prohibited. And this is the principle we should know. In matters of worship, everything is forbidden for us. Unless there is a text mentioning it, mentioning it as worship. Whereas, the opposite is the case with regard to worldly matters. Everything is allowed for us unless there is a text forbidding something. <coughs> and he's saying that this, had, this hadith contains indication of the, the affairs or rather the questions which will be asked in the grave. As for the question, where is your Lord? And it's clear in this hadith because the hadith is a clear mention. Or it clearly shows that Allah alone is the Lord who benefits and harms. With regard to the question in the grave, who is your prophet? Then this hadith, this is shown in the hadith by the fact that the Prophet ﷺ told about an affair of the unseen, where he said, you will certainly follow the ways of those who came before you. Meaning the Prophet ﷺ, a proof of his prophethood is that he foretold something that would occur in the future and it did occur. So that's proof of his prophethood. And as for the question in the grave, what is your religion? Then it is from their saying, the saying of the Banu Israel, make for us an object of worship. Meaning make for us that something that we should worship and worship <laughs> is the religion. And then he says, and he makes a point here which very often becomes clear, he says the author, Rahimahullah, Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, he has a very precise understanding to the meanings contained in texts. So sometimes it will be difficult for a person to explain the way that he has taken a matter out from the texts. And that seems very often to be the case here. And the 21st point of benefit is the ways followed by the people of the book are condemned just the same as the ways of the mushriks. I shall
as shown by the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, just as the people, just as the Banu Israel said to Musa. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned the ways of the Banu Israel, and he has mentioned it as a criticism. The twenty-second point of benefit and the final point of benefit is that a person who who leaves some falsehood, which his which his heart has become used to, it is not it is not to be felt safe for him that he will not have a trace of that falsehood or that manner in his heart. And Sheikh says this is this is true, this is correct, because a person who has just left something, whether it was something futile or not. We cannot feel safe that there will not be a, tr- a remnant of that left in his heart. And that this remnant will not pass away except after a passage of time. As is shown by this, the saying of the companion in the hadith. And we had newly left unbelief. So it is as if he was saying, we only made that request because there was a trace of ignorance left in us. And therefore, it is from wisdom, or, or, or based upon this principle, is some of the wisdom behind the, the person, the unmarried person who fornicates. That he is, first of all, he is lashed, and then he is exiled. He is sent away to a different place where he committed the crime. Such that he should not return to doing that crime again. So it is upon a person, or it is befitting a person, that he should keep away from the places of unbelief and the places of doubt and the places of evil such that none of that should fall into his heart Wallahu alam Sallallahu alam If there's anything needs clarifying and just, just as a point uh, 